Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today we've got Daniel O'Reilly on with us, and we're going to be talking about MSH3, which is a gene, um, and I'm going to have Daniel introduce himself and tell a little bit of his background, um, because not only is he a researcher, but he is directly um, affected by Huntington's and his family. So um, I really wanted him to share his story with everybody as well. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, Absolutely. Um, Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, and go into why research um, um, researching HD is important to you? Yeah, I guess my uh, um, my story starts back in the UK. I think you can't tell from the accent. Um, but when I was about 18, my mum was diagnosed with Huntington's disease. Um, it was a uh, pretty devastating, as many people know. It's like devastating um, being told that, and it has a huge effect on my life. And you know, watching mum suffer from that. Um, it made me want to help others with rare diseases, and so I pursued an undergrad in chemistry. Um, and then, like during that time, I also started to feel like that I wanted to know that I had HD. So after I moved to Canada to do my PhD in chemistry, I actually discovered that I have the gene for HD, and this is how I that's the the reason why like do HD research and also research into other neurodegenerative diseases on the whole. So while after I did my PhD in like DNA chemistry, looking to, to basically looking to use DNA as a therapeutic for uh, um, HD and other diseases, I then came to the RNA Therapeutics Institute where I'm working on not just developing like new chemistries and uh, that actually translate ideas from benchtop to actually treat it, hopefully treating patients one day. Um, my work here of HD involves what we call the mismatch repair pathway. Um, one of that is the MSH3 gene, and that's what we got. Um, that's probably what you've seen. That's awesome. That you know, thank you so much for sharing and um, you know sharing about your HD background. Um, you know. Uh, it's so important, I think, to have researchers who know what's going on with the disease because I think a lot of times we sit there and think that they don't have a clue, but when there's somebody who is directly affected by it and, you know, actually knows and, and is having to deal with it and is also a researcher, not only are you helping in the lab, but you're helping to educate others in the lab as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. The role of patients in 
they can have on any part of the drug discovery process, even the basic research is still very untapped potential, I believe. And so hopefully I help bridge the gap. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about MSH3 today. Um, what is MSH3? So the scientific name is MUT-S homolog 3, but that's a big mouthful, so we'll stick with MSH3. And essentially it is a gene that plays a role in the mismatch repair pathway. Now, the mismatch repair pathway is the pathway that um, repairs your genes when there's errors, and that can be errors from, like, um, outside effects or even errors during the, like, when your cells divide, there's errors that occur and your the mismatch repair pathway is the, the pathway that repairs them. MSH3 plays a role in fixing um, loops. Sometimes when you've got long repeats, such as the CEG repeat in HD, that loops out and the MSH3 can fix those. Um, and so that's its role in um, regular cell cellular. It's a gene that helps um, the HD gene, the Huntington gene. It's a gene that not only helps HD gene, it helps fix all the genes when there's an issue. All genes. So yeah. it, it is so a gene mis- that helps fix all genes. Yeah, it's like the mismatch repair pathway um, helps to fix all genes as a whole. So in Huntington's, though, it it takes what does it do for Huntington's? You mentioned a loop and the CAG repeat. So interestingly, for Huntington's disease and specifically, it is there was this um, they looked at the HD um, gene and they showed that people with who have mutations in this MSH3 gene. So when the gene has been no longer working correctly actually their CAG repeat lengths increase more. And so people who have those mutations could get Huntington's disease earlier due to the expansion of those repeats. Um, so M- uh, so MSH3 helps with that? Yeah, so MSH3 is usually protective, but when there's those mutations in that MSH3 that some people have, then it's no longer functioning correctly and it um, can um, elongate the CAG repeat, which is bad. And not everybody has this mutation. Is that correct that you're talking about? No. No. But other factors can affect why the CAG repeat is elongate. And we don't fully understand those other factors yet. We know that this expansion occurs in HD patients, but we don't fully understand why or when or the full mechanism or how it works. You know, we're still really understanding that. So what's the goal with MSH3 then? If you know that, you know, it causes this expansion, um, I mean, could you use MSH3 to change that or take MSH3 away and so it won't cause an expansion? How, you know, what do you do with that in order to... To change it. So exactly that. We're trying to like remove the MSH3 by using uh, we're using something called short interfering RNA or siRNA, 
and essentially like people may have heard of anti-sense technologies it's the same it's the same similar technology i.e we target the nsa tree gene uh, with this and it uh, can reduce the level of msh3 around and so in our studies we did this in a mouse model called q111 and they have 111 repeats at the start and over time they the level of repeats goes up and we saw when we removed the msh3 gene we didn't see any increase in the level of cags did the level but it didn't go down it just remained the same as before exactly okay um and this isn't the only type of gene that you know affects huntington's right no there are a bunch of if you look at the genome wide association study that they did there are a whole host of genes i think the list is up to like 15 different targets that we're looking at Oh, wow. Um, and I they didn't all, realize they had been up there yeah, so much. Yeah, they can all, but some of them might increase by, some of them, by getting rid of them, you might decrease the amount of CAGs or, like, keep them the same. But some of them might also have the opposite effect. So, or might be predicted to have the opposite effect. So, um, they all have different roles. Well, when you talk about that, when you're talking about, you know, their different roles and you're talking about these expansions and how they affect um, the Huntington gene, um, you know, you said for MSH3, um, if it expanded, it caused earlier onset. How much earlier do we know? Um, that, I think, is still up for debate. Um, I think this is why actually doing studies on now we know about the mismatch repair pathway and all the different targets now doing more fundamental biological studies is going to be important to answer these kinds of questions um, part of the trouble is looking at these expansions is difficult in the context of like um, typical human repeat range which is around you know like 40 to 60 um, those sort of repeats, they don't expand quickly. They expand over a very long period of time. And so that's difficult to study. Mm, okay. Um, I'm going to ask you a personal question. You can you can choose to answer or not because I didn't throw this one at you beforehand. But um, being in research, um, do you find it's hard uh, to understand why it takes so long, or does it give you the ability to understand why sometimes research takes so long from getting from the very beginning to, you know, to a point where, you know, the FDA has to approve something? On the whole, the latter, where I do now understand why things take so long, like with, it's very important to understand the fundamental biology now, you know, um, we only found out about the mismatch repair pathway recently. You know, if we'd have if we'd known about that like 10, 20 years ago, would that have made the Roche trial a bit more target something different? You know, maybe not the mutant Huntington, but maybe a different target. So now I understand why it's important to take the time. On the other hand, I do 
have the if the one issue I do find is more sometimes things go wrong in research because you know people make mistakes it happens I make mistakes every day and it took me a while to not I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that you know like if I messed up at first I would be really hating on myself and so now it took me a lot of time and a lot of having good um, like going to the gym and stuff like that to really work on that more okay if I make a mistake it's okay I can just repeat it and it's not the end of the world things take time you know right right and you're absolutely right you know researchers are human and uh, you know everybody's human and we all make mistakes so um I can't beat yourself up though I do I do know that feeling very well um thank you for that and uh, for for answering that because I know sometimes we feel like okay there's this great research right here right we're studying all of these um these genetic modifiers we're studying all of these different things um how how the gut works in HD all this stuff and yet it just seems like everything is so far away and for those of us who are positive of course there's this urgency um, to yep. to get it done, and so I think sometimes we forget uh, the importance of getting it done right, and that sometimes if something fails once, it just has to be done again in a different way, and um, that takes time. Yeah, yeah. And it, like you say, it's getting it done right and making sure we don't just skip over steps, you know. And get carried so away doing, about something. Right. Yeah. You're, so you're um, you're doing research on MSH3. Are there any other ones that you are specifically doing research on? Yeah. Um, we're so the whole list that the genome-wide association study. Um, basically, MSH3 make plays has a role in like these dimers. These like so it has like the pair and the partner gene. And so the mismatch repair pathway has a bunch of these partner genes. And so we're looking at all of them and the entire list. So there's like one called MLH1, MLH3, there's one called FAN1. There are a bunch that we're trying to work on now. Do any of them actually work together or do they work separately? I mean, do you, do you guys know that yet as far as if they're working together to to cause an expansion or to make things better or anything like that? Some of them definitely um, work together and like, for example, MSH3, there's been studies that show that um, some of the other mismatch repair genes take over the role of MSH3 when you, if they get rid of the gene completely. And so there's definitely this synergy between them and that's why we want to look at if we use our siRNA to target all of the genes, let's say, and start removing them one at a time or in pairs, what happens to the CAG repeat? And that's and what we're going to be looking at. Let me go back really quick. And you were mentioning, um, maybe you can explain this a little bit more too. So you were mentioning that the um, CAG, in, you know, the lower numbers, um, like 40s to 60s, repeats over time. Um, so... Can you go into that a little bit more and how it repeats over time and what you mean by that? Uh, so it just it just takes um, a longer time to expand, and so we have to what so if we want to do studies on that those sides of repeat, we have to um, watch them for like maybe like 
a year or two before the mice before we can actually look at see any expanse, see any change in the repeat level in the number of repeats. And that's why we use like model systems that have higher number than repeat, you know, like hundred plus that expands. And what would quicker. you see in like a hundred right. What would you see in like a hundred and plus? How long would you like how long does it take? So in the Q on lessons, which have a hundred to one at the start, we see that it expands approximately by ten extra CAG repeats in the two month study that we did. Wow. Um, and so Go ahead. Oh, so I was gonna say the only caveat with that is that to look at then other things like level effects. So we're also interested in not just changing the DNA level C A G repeat, but we're also interested in looking at the level of the Huntington gene itself and the protein that's produced. But um we didn't see that any change in our study, but we think that's because the number of CAG repeats is not change is not that big. It's only like ten percent of the original starting, hundred and eleven. And so we're gonna look at longer term studies now to try and see if we can get more CAG repeats. So interesting to me that it changes, because um, I guess mm -hmm. I'd never thought about that, um, about it changing. So, like, for example, mine mine is forty three. Um, mm -hmm. So, the expansion, if I were to have one of those genetic modifiers, you know, the expansion could take a long time, which would be why. Would that be the reason why it would take longer for us to see Huntington's develop? Yeah. yeah. And it also happens, it doesn't happen in like every cell in your brain at once. It happens very sporadically, maybe in like one or two cells. And then oh, over time, so it's more and more. Yeah. Like I say, it's not, um, there are other factors that may play a role, not just like the mismatch repair pathway that's been discovered. There may be many other factors that we're not aware of yet. Huh, yeah, that makes it even harder. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's just add sporadic in there. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on and talking to us about MSH3. Um, you know, I'm very interested in um, the genetic modifiers, and uh, we're actually going to be talking next week um, about FAN1 um, and finding out more about it. So MSH3, I think, um, was our first step in just learning about what they are, and then we're going to, you know, have a second show learning more about them. So thank you so much for coming on, and, um, you know, we're we're all mm -hmm. happy that you're in research and giving not only, um, you know, what you're contributing for research, but to all the other people in research and, and giving it a perspective um, that you have with, with your background. So thank you. No worries. Thank you for inviting me. Can I just say one more thing about MSH3? I think one yeah, of the cool. exciting things about MSH3 is that there's been a lot of previous work done in the mismatch repair pathway and looking at cancers because obviously these are key genes, right? They play, you need them in your body. Um, the good thing about MSH3 is that it's at least not associated with brain cancers, for example. 
And that's why people are excited about that one as maybe being therapeutically relevant for Huntington's. Um, but still, there needs to be more studies done. Well, that's awesome. Thank you again um, for those listening. Please make sure that you tune in next week as well to listen to more about genetic modifiers, um, specifically SAN1. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. 